interesting dynamic when the Sharks and the Canucks played. I, I thought I had an ally in the office, and apparently I did not. Uh, but Ruth Ellen uh, came to Canada very similarly to the, the same reason that I came. She was a student at Trinity Western University, and when she was a student there, she earned her fine arts degree, and she also met her future husband, Jared, who was leading music earlier this morning. And so the two of them just celebrated their third wedding anniversary. And since 2009, Ruth Ellen has been our children's director here for our Kids at the Ridge program. And for all of you, whether you're a parent or not with a child in that age group, I'm sure that you have sensed the great diligence and care that she leads into that program. And so as a staff and as a church, we are just so, so blessed by Ruth Ellen's incredible heart and her gifts. And so we've asked her to share that in a teaching format here with the adults instead of how she normally teaches with the younger generation. So Ruth Ellen, please come up. We are so excited to hear you preach from God's Word today, and I know that it will be beneficial to us all. And as you make your way up here, let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for gifting and equipping every member of your church. We know that as a church, we are a body. And every part of your body, Lord, is purposeful and useful uh, for the building up and for the correcting and the teaching and admonition of your people. And so, Lord, we thank you for your servant, Ruth Ellen. We pray, Lord, that you would speak through her this morning and that you would give us clarity for what you would teach us through your scriptures. Lord, motivate us and compel us to, to live out our faith in every part of our life. And now, may you now please give us ears to hear the teaching of your word. Amen. Amen. Well, I have to say that the thing that compelled me to become a Canucks fan was actually my dad, who might be listening to this a little bit later. But we got a funny, he never Facebooks us very often, because we never Facebook him very often. I'm a horrible Facebook person. And he Facebooked Jared, and he said, I always knew our hockey team was better than your hockey team, because they're from San Jose, and now we get to prove it. So that, I was like, okay, game on. Like, you know, I'm married a Canadian. I'm, my name's Ruth. I have to go with that, you know, move to a different country. And so I had just, I was, I was just filled with glee to when we beat San Jose and uh, rubbed it in quite a bit. So I thank my dad for uh, helping me become a Canucks fan. But... Yes, I have loved teaching here, and I'm really excited to um, be speaking with you today. I enjoy speaking with the kids. They have taught me so, so much, and I am very blessed. And so I just wanted to thank you parents for the, the hard work that you guys do as parents. I know it's exhausting. I've nannied quite a bit, and I'm ready to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> and you guys continue it. And so I know the grace of God has given you to be parents. I, I admire that, and it shows in the kids, so... Good for you guys. Well, the last couple weeks we've been talking about um, the covenant God gave to Abraham, and we're going to continue that today, but I wanted to do a little bit of a recap. If you guys remember, actually, who remembers what the very first story was that we learned two weeks ago when we started, restarted our Genesis? Got the picture here. Anybody? Nobody. I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with fire. Yeah, Abby. Close. Not the burning bush. Close. That's good. That one is fire. It's actually before that. Um, it's got brimstone, fire, and brimstone. 
Yes, thank you, Tim. Sodom and Gomorrah. And we learned from there that God was helping Abraham um, learn how to be a blessing to those around him through Sodom and Gomorrah. And then we learned last week with Pastor Mike about what? Does anyone remember? We've got a lovely painting here as well. Yes, finding a wife for Isaac. And through all of these stories, at Kids of the Ridge, we like to talk about the Big God story. And the Big God story is a story that God has written from creation all the way through Revelation. It's continuing on in our lives today. And the Big God story comes up against so many conflicts. Conflict after conflict after conflict. And in this story, we see that God has promised Abraham with three very special things. He promised Abraham with lots of family, as many descendants as there is stars in the sky and sand in the sea. He promised Abraham with land. He said, you're going to go in and possess this land. I'm going to give it to you. And he promised to make Abraham a blessing to all the nations. Now, the very first thing we learned about is Abraham's wife is barren. She can't have kids. Obstacle number one. God overcomes that. He miraculously allows Sarah in her old age to have kids. Obstacle number two, they're away from family. How in the world is Isaac going to find a wife? And who in the world would want to come all the way to a foreign land to be his wife from their family. And we see how God was faithful to the servant. The servant was faithful in the little things. And if you remember, we named the the servant George, I think it was, because he didn't have a name. So George was faithful in those little things, and he was able to go back to Abraham's family, find a wife for his son Isaac, and Isaac and them married. And that's where we begin our story today. And the story today has to do with another conflict, another roadblock in the plan for God's promises to be to allow Abraham's descendants to become many, like the stars in the sky, to possess this land, and to be a blessing. And that conflict, many of you, I think, and I definitely resonate with, is the conflict of family, internal family conflict. This family has so many issues that it seems as if it's almost impossible for God to use this family. How in the world could God use a family so entirely broken? Before we begin, though, I ask that you bow your heads with me and we'll um, pray together and ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we love your word. We love your word because it gives us life. It gives us breath. It gives us everything because it is your truth. And because by it we know you and we receive your love and salvation through knowing you and through knowing your son, Jesus. Lord, I, um, I pray for your spirit to bring into, to us today fresh insights. I desire to be led into worship together, for you to be glorified in, in ways that um, you haven't been glorified in our hearts yet, to open up more of our lives to you so that you can come in and draw us to worship. But I can't do that, Lord, and I, and I know that you can. So I ask that you do it, that your spirit speak through my voice, that the words that I say would be spirit-led. Any words that are unhelpful, I ask that you just let fall to the ground. And as this story that we hear, many of us know, I pray that it would be fresh today, that we would hear things differently than we've heard before because of your spirit prompting our hearts. And we praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story today with Isaac and Rebecca, they get married and everything seems to be hunky-dory. They're all good. They're going to have lots of kids and God's covenant promises will be fulfilled. But again, we have another roadblock because Rebecca, Isaac's wife, is barren. She too can't have any kids. 
So Isaac prays for her, and he prays for her, and he prays for her, and it's actually 20 years later that God hears his prayers and allows Rebecca to become pregnant and have become bare children. And she doesn't only just have one, she has two. She gets pregnant with twins, as many of you know. And, and these twins, and while they're in her tummy, they're fighting so much that, I mean, I can just imagine me like, kick here, kick here, kick here, pan here. Like, how frustrating that must be as a mother, being like, I can't even get a moment's peace. These babies inside of me are just, it's not just one. One baby can kick a lot. Two babies are kicking. And so she goes to the Lord and says, Lord, what in the world is going on here? Why are in the world are these babies struggling together? And he tells her, and he prophesies over her, and he says, I have two nations inside of your womb. I'm going to bring out of you two nations. One's going to be stronger than the other, and the older is going to serve the younger, which was very contradictory to the day. Usually the older would inherit everything and rule over things. So already God is um, foreseeing what's about to happen. And as these kids are born, they are born absolutely complete opposites. Sometimes you think twins should be like this. Well, they were not like this. They were like this. They, I don't understand how they could have come from the same, same mother. Like one came out hairy and red, so they decided to call him Harry. Esau, actually, but Esau means Harry. And the other one came out smooth and white as snow, and they named him Jacob, which means heel grasper because he came out grabbing his brother's heel. It's like even as a baby, he knew, I don't want you to be first. I want to be first. So he's grabbing his heel as he comes out, so they name him heel grasper, Jacob. And as these kids grow up, they become more and more and more different. There could be no more different two brothers in the world. Esau loves hunting, the Bible says. He loves going out in the woods, being all manly, you know, and and, and hunting and getting stinky. And then (laughs) Jacob loves to be in the tents, the Bible says. And most likely what this means to be in the tents is more of a businessman, more he liked to take care of the family flocks and the herds, which was quite a quite a lot. By now, Isaac had, they had quite a few servants and stuff, so he would oversee all of the family matters. He enjoyed doing that more than he enjoyed going out and hunting, being by himself in the, out in the fields. And already we see that the Bible lose absolutely no time in setting up the conflict for us that's about to happen. Because it says, as the boys grew, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home in the tents. Isaac, who loved the taste of wild game, loved Esau. Gotta love the kid who brings you food. And then while Rebecca loved Jacob, and most likely because she had heard of this, this prophecy about her children. So already we see that there's division. We have favoritism happening. We have father loving one son more and, and wife loving another son more. And we don't know how much, how much time has gone by but again, it's, this is where the conflict really starts, is when they're a bit older and Isaac is out in the fields. Who knows this story of Isaac in the fields and the birthright? Yes. What happens? <laughs> oh, Ben, Ben, help us out. Oh, you've got the Bible here. Okay, perfect. Close, 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 close. It's before that. Isaac's out hunting in the field, and he's really, really hungry. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. Esau is so hungry. He's been out hunting. He hasn't been able to find anything to eat. He hasn't caught anything. And he comes back. And, and um, the way the Bible puts it, he, it's very <coughs> caveman kind of language. He comes in and he's like, I'm starving. I'm stinky. Uh, I'm hungry. I want food. And he sees Jacob, who's out tending. Probably he's out with a group of shepherds in another field or something. And it's lunchtime. They're making some soup. And Esau is um, stirring up this delicious pot of red lentil stew. And, uh, oh, really? Hmm. You're hungry, are you? And Jacob's like, I mean, Isaac's like, yeah, I'm starving. Give me something to eat. And Jacob sees an opportunity and says, okay, sell me your birthright. Does anybody, I'm going to actually, I'm going to recap what a birthright is. A birthright has to do with the inheritance. And the eldest son would inherit double portions of the birthright. So if you had nine kids, uh, you had nine portions. And the firstborn got two. So the rest, eight of the kids, had to split seven portions between them because the first one got two. And that was just how things ran. So if you have twins, you have two portions to divide. The first one gets double portions. There's nothing left for the second one. So... Esau is saying, give me all the inheritance, and I'll give you this bowl of stew. And Esau goes, okay. And he eats it. And the Bible says it has very, staccato means kind of like, it's a musical term. And it says it's very staccato and, and abrupt in its language. It says Esau ate, drank, got up, left, and despised his birthright. Boom, 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 boom. It was just as easy for him to eat and drink as it was for him to say, I don't care about my family inheritance. I don't care about this or that. And we see it here. It's not so much that Esau, and it's not so much that Jacob is more willing to have the birthright and wants it more. It's the fact that, that Esau despised it. He didn't care for it. He had no regard for his birthright that we already see why God might want to choose Jacob. But what Jacob does is absolutely slimy and sleazy. So at the same time, I'm looking at, okay, I've got one person who hates, doesn't really care for the birthright, doesn't care about his family's inheritance or anything. And that's, I don't think I want him to carry on Abraham's, the promises God gave to Abraham. And then I have here Jacob, who's taking advantage of his brother. If he's going to take advantage of everybody, I don't want that person to carry. How is he going to be a blessing to people? He's taking advantage of people. That's not being a blessing. So you, you got this, this pull, this contrast of this. There's not very many, I don't, these aren't two very good options. And we don't know how much later, but this is where we're going to spend most of the time is after all of this has happened, we have all this conflict. You see that the brothers don't really get along very well. They're completely different. Parents love one more than the other. And then we have this moment, which is the climax of family tension in, in the history of I think, Isaac and Rebecca. If you want to turn to me to Genesis chapter 7, 27, pardon me, that's where we're going to read from today. We have Bibles, too, available for you at the Welcome Center if you would like to grab one or else. I'm sure some of you have iPods and iPhones that have some um, there. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son! Here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man. I don't know the days of my death. Now then get your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the tasty food that I love, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now Rebekah was, was listening as Jacob spoke to his son Esau. 
I'm going to pause right there because if you knew this culture, if you were in this culture, you would have like, bing, red flags flying up everywhere because Isaac calls just Esau in. This was not the custom of the day. Usually, the family blessing was like the last will and testament of the father. And, and because they didn't have any wills or whatever back then, and it was a thing to celebrate, they would invite all of their sons in, and a whole bunch of family, and they have a big feast together, and the dad, who knew that his days were coming to an end, would bless each of them with um, his, his hopes and his dreams for his children, and also pass on who would be the heir of, of the family, who would be the head of the family when he died. And he just calls in Esau. What's up with that? Like, doesn't he care for Isaac? I mean, Jacob. Doesn't he care for Jacob? He just calls in Esau, again, showing the favoritism. And also, you see that Rebecca is here listening. She's, she, somehow, there's been so much division in the family that now Rebecca is, is taking to spying and listening on her husband. Let's continue. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some tasty game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now listen, son. Listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you the blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food, just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, and placed them in the house. And she put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his neck and the smooth parts of his skin with goat skin. Then she handed to her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread she had made. Again, I'm going to pause there just for a minute. Have you noticed the way Rebecca is talking about her sons and her father? Whenever she's referring to it, she says, your father, not my husband. She says, your brother Esau, not my son Esau. Again, showing she doesn't need, she's not even talking about them in that intimate language of my husband, my son. It's your brother, your father. Absolute emotional and a connection severed between these people. What is going on in this family? And you also see Jacob, who doesn't say, Mom, that's a bad idea. I, that's wrong to go deceive my father. He just says, I don't want to be found out. I don't, I don't think that's a good idea because... What if my dad thinks I'm tricking him? Well, you are tricking him. Like, the only reason he doesn't want to do it is because he doesn't want to be found out. He has no moral grounding at all in here. Like, come on, Jacob, get some pants on. Like, be the man. And he doesn't. The story continues on. He went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, 
I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat of my game so that I can, you can give me my, your blessing. Jacob said to his son, How is it? How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come here so that I can touch you, my son, to know if you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I can give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate. And he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. <laughs> so he went to him and kissed him. <laughs> when Jacob caught the smell of the clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, The smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May the God give you the heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you. May people bow down to you. Be lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. Again, I'm going to pause right here. He gave him everything. Esau, Jacob, I mean, Isaac. I should just call them I, E, and J so I don't get them mixed up. Isaac has blessed Jacob with absolutely everything. He has given him a blessing of, um, of the land, prosperity, wealth, um, social, economical authority. He's, asked, he's, he's blessed him, saying all the nations, all people bow down to you. He's put him as a head over the family. Absolutely everything has been given to him. And, and I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm sitting here and I'm kind of like, okay, God, where's the thunderbolt? Come on. Like, this is not right. This is wrong. And not only is it not right, but Jacob used the Lord's name in vain. He says, the Lord, your God, gave me success. God didn't give him success. He didn't even go and get, hunt anything. He just got two goats. So he lies to his father using God as an excuse for his lie. And I, I am just sitting here going, why do you have such patience? Why? What are you going to do here, God? I don't see how you're going to use this man, Jacob, to fulfill your promises. And Esau comes back from hunting. We'll see what happens next. Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of your game, so that my game, so that you can give me your blessing. His father asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered. Your firstborn, Esau. Then Jacob trembled violently and said, Who was it then? That hunted game and brought it to me. I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. 
Then Esau heard his father's words. He burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me! Me too, father! When Esau's... But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He has deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he takes my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Jacob, Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you, and I have made all his relatives his servant." And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me too! When Esau wept loudly. And Jacob doesn't say anything. Finally, his father Isaac answers him. Your dwelling will be away from earth's richness, away from heaven's dew. You will be lived by the sword, and you will serve your brothers. And you will grow restless, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to him, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I don't understand why God would let this happen. It seems ridiculous, ridiculous for <laughs> why didn't God stop it? It's deceit, it's deceiving, obviously not part of his plan. And now Esau is left with nothing and he's pushed to the edge in anger that he's he's convinced he's going to go out and he's going to kill his brother because there's, he is so darn tootin' mad that he can't even stand it. And, and Isaac loses the privilege of blessing the son, that he, the proper son. He doesn't even know who he's blessing. And now he's filled with source and grief. I don't know about you, but it gets me angry partly and frustrated partly because I know these characters. I know these kinds of people. I see these kinds of um, relationships in my own family, extended family, and in some in myself. I mean, you've got the manipulative mother who thinks her son can do no wrong. You've got, you've got um, a father who has lost his spiritual fervor, and he's more compelled by his stomach and his own um, desires than on God's will. Surely he must have known about the prophecy about his sons. Did he not know? And the Bible also says just before this that Esau went out and married two Hittite women, which were a source of grief to his parents. So why did, Jake, why did Isaac overlook all of these things and still want to bless Esau? He'd, he'd lost his spiritual grounding. And, and not only that, now we have a brother who is only wants what's in front of him. He wants the immediate. He wants what will give him what he wants right now. And then we have the other brother who is an opportunist. He'll take advantage of anybody, no matter what cost, so that he can get his way and get what he wants. I know these characters, and that's part of why what's frustrating. And, and he's bound to ask, and I'm bound to ask, well, where in the world is God in this story? Like, why doesn't he stop? Why doesn't he do anything? 
Jacob gets away with it. He's blessed, and that scumball gets the blessing. He gets everything. He gets family inheritance. He gets absolutely everything. It just, it's infuriating. He starts the story, God starts the story with an oracle saying, I'm going, an older will serve the younger. But then it seems as if he just checks out. He doesn't, he just lets the family eat each other up. And, just, and that's what it seems like when you look at it at first glance. And you think, um, if I was God, I would be tempted to kind of go, okay, it's only the third generation in, and already the family's eating each other up. Scrap this. I'm just going to start a new family. Like, this is just grandson here from, from Abraham. Just three generations. I'm just, it's not too late. I'll just scrap it and start something new. But that's not what he does. God chooses to remain faithful to Abraham and faithful to his promises by working in and through this family's sin and brokenness. And that's where he is in this story. He is in this story by not giving up on this family. Even though they are redonkulously sinful, he doesn't give up. I would get impatient. I get impatient with my own family members. I think, God, why are you being so patient with them? And then he reminds me of something he's patient for me about. I'm like, all right, when you're patient with me, that's okay. But I want you to fix this. Get rid of it. I don't like it. I don't want to be good anymore with my family. They get me angry. Why does that person always do wrong and get away with it? And sometimes God just whispers, because I love them and I have a plan. Because I want them to choose me. Because I have something bigger in mind. And I will allow this for now. Because I will bring glory to myself through these situations. And that's what he does. As the story continues, we find out that Jacob, while he gets away with the blessing, does not get away without, without consequences. Because his, his brother wants to kill him, his, his mother finds out about it and sends him away. So he's, he's forced away from home. He flees home. And his mother says, like, oh, you know, a couple days, I'll call you back when it's all over. A couple days turns into over 14 years. And he never gets to see his mother again. And his mother never gets to see his, her favorite son again. She dies before he's able to come home. And while he's gone, he goes and lives with his uncle Laban. And Laban tricks him. Deceit seems to follow him around. Tricks him into marrying his older daughter, Leah, instead of the one that Jacob loved, the younger daughter, Rachel. And then he has to work seven more years till he can finally marry Rachel. Uh, but now he has two wives who hate each other, and blah, 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 and there's consequences flying all over the place. And then his own sons trick him again into selling, and they sell their brother, Joseph, his Jacob's son, Joseph, into slavery. And they come back and they tell his father that he was killed. Deceit and a life of deceit does have consequences. But as we see, the entire Bible is full of this hope that God uses even these circumstances. Even that person that you despise because they just irritate you so much to bring glory to himself and healing to the nations. He will cause them to be a blessing. 
He causes this family. He transforms them slowly. Jacob faces his consequences. He wrestles with God, faces God, and receives grace from God. And as we know, the grace of God transforms lives. So I ask you today, a couple application points that I have is don't give up on your families. Don't give up on your families. Your extended family, your brothers, your sisters, yourself. Don't. I'm begging you, don't, because God hasn't given up on them. And God can transform them. He can renew that relationship. Yes, there will be consequences to the hurt that has happened, but he can redeem it. As we see in this story, and we see in stories throughout Scripture, God uses the brokenness. So I, instead of giving up, bring it to him. Simply lay it before him and say, God, I cannot deal with this brokenness. I can't deal with this relationship. I can't deal with this own sin in my life. This, I, I don't know how to raise a family to honor and love you. Or I'm terrified of this prospect. I, I, it's, a, it's such a huge calling. Or, 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 or this mother of mine or mother-in-law, I don't know how to love her and be a blessing to her. And there's too much baggage. God will take that baggage and he will transform it. He will use it to glorify himself. So I ask you, what does God want to glorify himself in you today? Whether it's a relationship that you need to go and call that person. Um, as a family, God wants to glorify himself in you and in your family by having family prayer times in the evening. I don't know what it is. But I pray that the Spirit of God will be speaking to each of your hearts right now as you, as you, as you connect with the story, see you, these characters, characters that are real-life characters. We all, we all have seen them. How can you give yourself and your family and allow God to glorify himself in you he doesn't want to just glorify himself in you in your, in your um, good states. He wants to glorify himself by redeeming all of you and all of your family. As we, as we, as we know, this, this story has an amazing ending. It ends with Christ, because Christ came from a line of a scumball, someone who deceived and got away with it. God loved him. God was faithful to him. God will remain faithful to his promises and his character. And his character is sure. And Christ comes from the line, from, from Jacob. Jacob's seed, Christ comes. And Christ is the ultimate um, conclusion to his promises to be a blessing to the nations. And, and that's the hope that we have for our families. Nothing but the blood of Jesus that is the sure foundation that we can stand on for our families and, and, and for our lives. There is no dirty laundry the Lord cannot redeem in your life, no skeletons in your closet that, that are hidden from him that he cannot transform. He wants to transform even those things. I think that um, for myself, this has been a journey of 
understanding the centeredness that Christ must be in my in my own heart and and I am led to to worship him as we talked about we were created to worship because of his faithfulness and 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 to realize that it's not on anything that I can do but it's on his grace and on his mercy that I can that I can trust and that's why we have the communion tables to hear the other application point I wanted to provide for you guys was a chance to come to Christ as a family. Um, and the, the communion table is for anyone who has accepted Christ into their lives. And um, for those of you who have kids, and I, I encourage you to please make sure they understand the significance of, the, of this table and are ready. If you haven't, maybe just skip it for today and talk about it later when you're at home. But still come. Come as a family. Come to the communion table and take it and ask Christ to be covering your family. Give your family up to Christ and say, I am, I am accepting your forgiveness and, and we want to live as a family that follows you. And then we'll have some people there to, to bless you at the end because this is a story of blessing. We want to be a family that can bless each other. So you can just get your communion and then carry on over and there'll be someone to just say a quick, like, 20 15 second blessing over you to pray over you and your family and then if there is something more specific that you want to to pray about feel free to to ask them and and they can pray for that specific thing as well i wanted to um in in closing read a bit of a prayer that i wrote a while ago when thinking about the cross and um, God's ability to redeem brokenness and the hope that I have that no matter what, how messed up I get, no matter how silly I look or stupid things that I do, God is there to redeem that and he will lead me into his righteousness. You, the wrath of God, engulfed so that I might enter into his mercy. You on that cross became the ultimate act of love. Years of anguish and waiting, centuries of separation and wrath were summed up in one timeless act. Foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling blocks to the, to the Jews, this is salvation. This mangled body, salvation. This tragedy is made more tragic by the shunning you received from mankind. This act of love so pushed to the side, even now as it was then. Despised, dismissed, rejected still. Who indeed has any excuse that hears the salvation and rejects it? Forgive me. My affections turned away. I forgot my first love. This is the anguish of my soul, my failure in this. Spirit of grace, where are you stirring in my heart? Help me. Helpless to achieve salvation and helpless to maintain it on my own, I am at the mercy of his grace. My hope, my plea rests only in his love. Lord, helpless I came to you and hope-filled I stay not by any act of mine, but trust in you. Your grace is sufficient. Your love 
boundless. In Jesus' blood, I come to you. By Jesus' blood, I stay. Take me in your arms of grace, not for what I've done, but for who I am covered with. Father, we pray that you would lead us into a deeper understanding of your love for us, your faithfulness that will not leave us, that you will not give up on our families, on our lives. You are faithful to, to redeem even the ugliest of, of relationships and of sins. And you desire to be made known through our lives. You desire to redeem us and bring glory to your name. So we offer ourselves and our family. That is our heart's desire, is for you to be glorified. So be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our worship. And I pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.